Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And here we are with Pearl. Part two of our little January installment. Mm-hmm. Of course, getting ready for the March 18th release of Maxine. Holy shit. So if you haven't listened to our episode featuring X, definitely recommend that you do that before listening to this one. Although if we're going chronologically, this does come before X. That's a really good point. About 70 years before X or 60. Yeah. We're set in 1918, Texas. Still on the farm. We are still on the farm. And I love this because I love that we get to see the farm in the olden days. In its prime. In its prime and it's gorgeous. And the wallpaper is definitely coming back in style. The colors are so bright. Vivid. This movie is night and day. Literally, this is day to night when yeah. it comes from X. Like This is shot so much differently. It's so much brighter. It's giving midsummer energy. Yes. Such a great comparison. Let's get into it. Let's just jump the fuck into Let's, it. We are ready to go. So, of course, Pearl, this is our young version of Pearl from X, still played by Mia Goth, but this time in a more recognizable fashion. And we know Mia Goth from X, Suspiria, all of those things. Ruth is Pearl's mother. She is played by Tandy Wright. She doesn't have any horror appearances, it seems, but she's best known for her roles as Fen Partington on Seven Periods with Mr. Gromsby and Catherine Duvall on Nothing Trivial. So she seems like she has a lot of TV roles and some other accolades behind her. And then Mitzi is played by Emma Jenkins Puro. And she seems like an up and coming actress. She doesn't have much going on on Wikipedia, but she is there and she is memorable. I like her in this a lot. Me too. So some pre-plot trivia. Ty West and Mia Goth collaborated on the script for Pearl via FaceTime during a mandatory two-week quarantine due to the COVID-19 pandemic in New Zealand prior to filming X. Oh, wow. Yeah. They had only hoped A24 would agree to make the film, but fortunately, the project was greenlit before filming began on X. Wow. So these were, X and Pearl were like more together than I realized, which makes so much sense because they both came out in the same year, which blew my mind. I know, like so back to back. But all of this legwork had already happened, which I think makes so much more sense. So secretly filmed simultaneously with X... Pearl serves as that film's prequel, showing the title character's early life in 1918, decades before the events of X. This I thought was really interesting about Tandy Wright, again, who also plays Pearl's mother, Ruth, was the intimacy coordinator on X. She was offered the role of Ruth and shot as the first film was wrapping up. And according to Ty West, she learned German for the role in a hurry and became so convincing in her accent that she fooled two German members of the crew. It is very convincing. It is very convincing. I believe she's from New Zealand originally. This is something that stood out to me as well. Online, and I don't have any sources for this, all this information is always from IMDb. But online, as vague as that is, fans of the film often lovingly call it Joker for Girls (laughs) (laughs) because of how some of the female fans find Pearl relatable, similarly to how some male fans of the 2019 film relate to the titular character. Yeah, I could see that. Me too. Because Pearl's going nuts throughout the, like, the second half of this film. And mm-hmm. part of me is like, girl. And then part of me is like, girl. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm also really intrigued by like a tidbit on here about A24 releasing certain clips from the movie. And two of those three really famous clips are Pearl literally freaking out. 
And so I would say, I mean, I can't think of two more intense moments with her like actively, I don't want to say hysterical, but showing that like overt strong emotion than when she's asking the projection guy why he's leaving. And then also when she gets rejected. And I'm saying this, which could be a spoiler, but also I have seen this clip 70,000 times. Like everybody knows she's rejected. Right. But I can't think of any other moments that are even comparable to the amount of emotion she shows there. I mean, of course, there's the monologue. And then the ending sequence. And then the ending sequence, but they're not the same. It's not her yelling and screaming like we see in those teasers. Right. Okay, so start us off. Yeah, we open, and this opening very much reminds me of that farmhouse sequence in the remake of Suspiria, where Mm. there's just like this beautiful music going over this farmhouse scenery. The barn door is open and you see this farmhouse in full color. Everything seems very angelic. We're panning over some family photos and dolls, but not at all sinisterly like in X. Mm -hmm. It's the same family photos in the same setting as in X, but obviously in its prime and in its, you know, original state. And everything just seems so much brighter. But Pearl is sitting in her vanity, done up in a pink dress and ribbons. There is a light transition and she begins dancing in a spotlight in her bedroom to very regal music. And this is a callback to older Pearl dancing in the light of the headlights in (gasps) X for certain. She definitely feels like she's in the spotlight and she's moving and grooving until her mother Ruth opens the door and interrupts and we are jumped back to reality. Yes. Immediately it's established that Pearl's mother does not appreciate Pearl's desires to be a dancer, be a performer. She immediately tells Pearl to go, A, take off her old dress. So I guess her mother has some old dresses that Pearl likes to wear from time to time and to feed the animals like Pearl said she would do. So Pearl changes into more practical clothes, overalls. They're back. They're back. (laughs) They are back. And she talks to Charlie the cow about how she is special. She being herself is special. And she gets up and performs a dance in front of the animals. Again, very similar to how she did in her room just seconds before. When a goose enters, Pearl approaches the goose with a pitchfork. (laughs) (laughs) I, I love how in the first three minutes of this movie, everything from X is just here. I'm watching this like, no, she's not gonna kill the goose. But then she does. She stabs it through with the pitchfork and then takes it to the pond, calls for Theta, the alligator, and gives Theta a snack. And we did some intense research as to whether (laughs) (laughs) Theta the gator was the same gator from X. And we found out the longevity of gator lifelines is only like 50 years. Yeah. So life expectancy wise, this gator is not the same gator that ate Brittany Snow in Mm -mm. X, even though we would love it to be. (laughs) But it's probably one of Theta's babies. Yes. Which this movie so skillfully weaves in a little bit later. So we are establishing that we are in 1918 through some text on the screen. We see Ruth and Pearl making dinner and Ruth tells Pearl not to indulge in more foolishness, that dancing is selfish since it's just the two of them to tend to the farm since dad got sick. Pearl looks for a letter in the mail, but instead sees a newspaper that tells her that the Allies have taken control of France, which could mean the end of the war. But Ruth is very upset hearing this saying, I don't want to hear about any more dead Germans tonight. 
Ruth is German. She speaks in German primarily throughout the film. Mm -hmm. And I noted that even if Ruth speaks in German, Pearl tends to answer her in English, which again is showing that little bit of generational difference. And then we get our first shot of the dad who is in a wheelchair and unresponsive. Like you could tell he's nonverbal. He has come down with some element of illness, something. I mean, that is something that is like motifed throughout the film. I mean, what is it? So I don't know. I read something that alluded to him experiencing the consequences of like an STI. Oh. Which is interesting considering, of course, what we know of Pearl's sexual deviancy. Mm -hmm. Like, do those things align? Of course, STIs don't align with sexual deviancy, but in this context. However, I looked that up specifically and didn't find it anywhere else. I never heard or saw anything about specifically what happened to him, but there was this one source that I will end up talking about later that references some kind of sexual disease. And that's the thing. In 1918, there was a flu pandemic, and that is alluded to when Pearl goes into town later, where everyone is wearing masks. And I know you have some things kind of about how this is a pandemic film. Yes. <laughs> and some things that we'll talk about later. But it's still the idea that germs and sickness and illness is definitely something that is a big fear, especially for Ruth in mm -hmm. this movie. And that the father might be a consequence of, if you're not careful, this might be what happens type of situation. Right. Yes. And we also have no idea how long he has been wheelchair bound. Like, has it been a year? Has it been a couple years? I don't know. So later that night, Pearl is looking at a tin of letters that she has from Howard, who is currently a soldier in the war. She sees visions of him coming back to the farm. They are married. After that, Pearl is bathing in full view of her father in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. This is so uncomfortable. And oddly enough, it doesn't even end up being the most uncomfortable thing no. in the film. I don't even know how to explain it. Like in a weird way, does it highlight her naivety or her innocence? As like a little three-year-old would be bathed by their father. But she's a married woman. Like it's just, you wouldn't think of her bathing in front of her father. Or does she think that because her father is non-responsive that he can't register what's happening or that he wouldn't be uncomfortable with what's going on? I'm not sure. But we see so much of Pearl's character is seeking validation from men. And that's the thing, especially with some scenes that we get later between Pearl and her father. It really seems as though there is some element of incestual affection. Right. And she's talking to her dad about her dreams, which we also heard her tell Charlie the cow and the whole entire barn. Then her mother comes in and kind of gives her a look, but doesn't say anything about it. And she kind of says, I didn't want to waste the hot water, which tells us, okay, I guess she had just bathed her dad. So now she's taking advantage of the hot water. But anyway, she also tells her dad she's excited she's going to go into town. She has to renew his medicine. So the next scene, she has money from her mother to get more medicine for her dad. She goes into town and she has the little face mask on because of, of course, the influenza pandemic. And she buys more medicine for her dad. And before she can make her way out of town, she sees a flyer for a film, The Palace Follies. And she decides to spend the extra money she has to go and watch it, sipping her dad's medicine <laughs> <laughs> in the audience, which I think is kind of funny. But anyway, she loves it and she's having the time of her life. She then reads the program in the alley after the show and a handsome man offers her a cigarette. He says to her that she's pretty enough to be a dancer and then offers to let her in to the second showing of Palace Follies for free since he's the projectionist. And we never get a name from him, so we're just going to keep calling him the projectionist. 
She declines, but then he cuts a frame out of the film and gives it to her, almost like a little tiny picture, and tells her to come back and see him and to remember to live her own life despite caring for her family. Because that's the excuse that she gives. It's like, oh, my father's sick. I need to go get him his medicine. He's like, oh, well, you know, don't forget to live your own life. And I think this inspires her. So she begins to bike home, but the frame from the film flies out of her pocket and goes into a cornfield. So she goes chasing after it and presumably gets lost in this cornfield where she comes across a scarecrow in a clearing giving Sinister Two and Children of the Corn, if you know, you know. This scarecrow looks too human. I said, why does the scarecrow look like Mr. Peanut? Like the peanut mascot? Doesn't he? Oh my. That's what he looked like to me, but he does look much more humanoid. Like it's not a fully straw scarecrow. Like this scarecrow has a face. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, she is not disturbed by the scarecrow like Shay and I. (laughs) She decides to climb up on the stand where the scarecrow is. And I initially thought it was to turn around and take a look at where she had just come from. That would be the smart thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But she does not. She asks the scarecrow if he would like to dance, knocks him off, and then proceeds to dance with the scarecrow. She concludes her dance with a big smooch. And then as she opens her eyes, we see the film projector's face has, in her imagination, been superimposed onto the scarecrow. So she is fantasizing about this mysterious man she has just met. She throws him off and yells that she's married. But then she gets on top of the scarecrow as he lays on the ground and humps it (laughs) until it seems very much like she climaxes. I wrote, why are we horny in cornfields, bones and all? Can, can we just like, why are we horny in the corn? I don't know. But it's also like she holds her finger up to its lips and says, shh, which again is like a very big motif that we got out of X, like this idea of it'll be our little secret. Yes, which is also like bringing me back to that conversation we had about her dad. Mm-hmm. It'll be our little secret. It's like something you would say to like a kid, like a child. Right. Like you give a kid a piece of candy and be like, don't tell your mom. She'll be so mad at me, your cool aunt, for giving you candy. Do you know what I mean? So she steals his hat after climaxing with the scarecrow (laughs) and arrives home with the hat on. And Ruth is outside chopping wood, giving very much Amityville remake Ryan Reynolds. Yes. And says the hat might be covered in germs, but then yells at her and just tells her to go help her father. Where she instead then bathes in front of him again and tells him about palace follies. And the dad has labored breathing. And again, I I can't tell if he's disturbed or he's aroused. Like there's a lot of things going on. And then this is like that scene that to me confirms that she has some level of curiosity for his affections or curiosity for a man's affirmation because Pearl then pinches his finger just to see if he'll react to pain and there's no reaction. Then she like pokes his chin and says, are you still in there? And then begins caressing his face very childishly where it's almost like think of you're holding a baby and the baby like puts its hands on your face and it's just kind of like warping your cheeks and trying to like feel at your skin. But then she starts cupping it very sensually and then squeezes his throat. Yeah. And like chokes him. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm like, is dad scared or horny? I don't know. I think dad is scared. I think he's scared. (laughs) But I think she's horny. (laughs) I also think that. But then the scene cuts to dinner again. So it's another night, another family dinner. 
These dinner scenes rival hereditary dinner scenes. And I'm not just uh-huh. saying that because I'm wearing a hereditary shirt right now. <laughs> it's part of why I wore a hereditary shirt. But oh. like the tension of these dinner scenes is so palpable. <laughs> they are very, very tense. And Ruth at this dinner scene asks Pearl where the rest of the money is from what she let her have for the medicine. Pearl says that she spent it on some hard candy. So promptly, Ruth tells her she doesn't need to eat dinner then. Pearl asks her mother, please, I'm so hungry. Pearl, we know, and she says, has biked a long distance to town and home. So like physically, she needs food, like needs it. But Ruth says no again. Pearl gets up as if to go to bed, but Ruth has her turn around and return to the dinner table. I thought that she was going to have Pearl like cruelly watch her eat, but instead she tries to talk with Pearl and emphasize how it's up to her and Pearl alone to survive. I felt like the scene, I I felt really sympathetic with Ruth. I felt like she was trying to be really truthful and lay out for Pearl how important it is. Every cent counts, every minute counts, trying to make this work with just us two. But Pearl seems disinterested the whole time. Her mother seems to be almost pleading with her in a sense, like, please, here's the information, try to understand. And when Pearl leaves the table, she prays to God to make her the biggest star ever known so she can leave this place, which again confirms she doesn't really have any interest in this farm and she wants to get out of here. So the next morning, Pearl is milking the cows. And I noted how this is how Maxine starts her very first scene in X. Uh, Like she's milking the cows before she fucks Jackson in the barn. A truck pulls up and a new character, Mitzi, and her mother arrive, bringing them a large pig roast. Mitzi is Pearl's sister-in-law because she is Howard's sister and her mother is obviously Howard's mother, so Pearl's mother-in-law. Mitzi, you know, is talking to Pearl, catching up with her and says that she is sad that Howard's pride got him involved in the war, especially since they had a doctor willing to make him ineligible, which is telling us they have money. And this is evident just in the sense that they're bringing over a pig roast and they are dressed much more elegantly than Pearl and her mother are. You know, Mitzi goes on to say, first he runs off to become a farmer and then he joins the army, the lengths that my brother will go to just despite his father. Mm-hmm. In the background, we see that Ruth won't accept the pig because she doesn't want to accept charity. She's very prideful. Also, I think it's interesting that Mitzi is the only one that talks to Pearl and her mother-in-law doesn't even speak to her. Right. I imagine that there's tense relationships, not just between Howard and his family, but also perhaps the family Howard married into. Right. Yeah, like the mother's like, oh, this poor farm girl is the one that took my son away from me. So Mitzi then tells Pearl about a dance audition that is happening at the church that Saturday. They are forming a traveling dance troupe to tour all over the country, which sounds exactly what Pearl wants. Mm -hmm. Mitzi says it'll be their secret and that they'll go and audition together. And then Mitzi and her mother take their leave to go drop off some more pigs because they're so wealthy and charitable in this very hard time. Inside, Pearl (laughs) looks again at her Palace Follies program and imagines herself on the big screen while her mother is outside. She sees that her mother is outside with her father through the window and quickly runs into her mother's room into her closet to find a dress to borrow. I love this moment. After she grabs the dress, she runs to the window again and sees that her mother and father are gone even though nearly getting caught, manages to hide and evade her mother's sight and borrow the dress. She gets into the dress and then sneaks out of the house. There's just something about that moment that just feels so like quintessential childhood. Sneaking, sneaking around. Out. Yeah. But also like there is also something really sweet about her borrowing her mother's clothes. Yeah. 
It's kind of making me think, I don't know, maybe because Pearl is a young girl during World War One, there's just not as many resources for young girls to spend money on dresses, like their finances are going towards other things. Also, it makes me wonder where her mother came from. Exactly. Because like, her mother has gorgeous pigmented dresses. And, and I'm not a fashion expert, especially in 1918, but it seemed like there's usually a trend in older fashion where like if something's really pigmented or bright, it's more expensive. It's just not as common because it's not like the brown dress you would wear every day and get use out of. It's the red dress for special occasions and you're spending money on it. So it is interesting to think about where Ruth comes from. How does she have those things from when she's a girl? Exactly. It's almost like she had the Mitzi upbringing. Yeah. It's like the opposite where it's like Howard went down to be with Pearl. It might have been Ruth stepping down to be with Pearl's father. That's a level. And that might be like some level of animosity that exists between Pearl and Ruth for that reason. And maybe one of the reasons Ruth feels so overwhelmed Maybe she didn't grow up in this kind of environment. Maybe she feels a little bit out of sorts without her husband there to help her kind of figure it all out. Ooh. Okay. Interesting. And it's also significant to me that she's wearing the Scarecrow's hat. Like she continues to wear this fucking top hat. Do you know what this reminded me of? What? Okay. The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. You know, Miss Gulch, the lady who rides the bike who in Dorothy's dream turns into the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm -hmm. That's exactly who Pearl looks like. She has the long, like ruffly dress and the top hat riding a bike and that's exactly what miss gulch looks like i was writing in my notes i was like is there significance to when she's wearing the hat of the scarecrow and i was like again like looking up significances of scarecrow and trying to <laughs> think of like scarecrows in my head and i'm like scarecrows are meant to protect crops and ward off crows and we know crows mean death so or old crows like her mother exactly but scarecrows are allies of farmers Like, they are on the side of farmers. They're meant to be friends of farmers. She fucked a scarecrow. But it's also the idea... (laughs) I'm going to write a thesis on scarecrows. Uh But also it's the idea that scarecrows are false threats. Like, they are a fake man or a fake being that is trying to ward off predators from eating crops. So the idea that Pearl is wearing this top hat and is arriving and hanging out with the projectionist in this dress, but also this top hat, is making Pearl seem as though she is not as dangerous a threat as she truly is. It's also making me think, again, not to bring up Miss Gulch and the Wizard of Oz again, (laughs) but like I said, Miss Gulch is who the Wicked Witch of the West is before Dorothy's Dream. So in that vein, it's like she's not the full threat that she will eventually become as the Wicked Witch of the West, as Pearl, the old woman in X. Like her origin story is beginning. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I love this so much. Who knew a top hat and a little bit of scarecrow background could bring this out? A little bit of scarecrow folly, a little bit of scarecrow fucking, I don't know. Yeah, give me that old timey movie. I'll go to the theater for that. So again, she has snuck out on her bike with a dress and a top hat, and she immediately knocks on the back door where the projectionist meets her at the theater. And he seems surprised. She goes inside, immediately tells him about the dance audition that's coming up and her nervousness. He offers to put on a movie and she wants to see Palace Follies again, but he suggests that he put on something that she hasn't seen before. He chooses a movie he picked up in France And as he's getting it set up on the reel, he's talking about his bohemian lifestyle. And I wrote, like, the fucking guy from X. Yep. And then the movie turns out to be pornography. He goes on to say it's all the rage in Europe and that those girls are, like, worshipped over there. 
The projectionist tells Pearl, listen, if you're unhappy, just leave. And Pearl says, once mom and dad are gone, she will. Projectionist just kind of gives this like YOLO speech. Like he gives a lot of YOLO speeches where Mm -hmm. it's just like, well, what if it's too late by the time that they die and realize and then your youth is gone and la la la. And Pearl says, if only they would just die. And that's a little concerning. Mm-hmm. But Pearl then asks the projectionist for affirmation, and he says, you should go overseas. You could even be in pictures like these. I'd watch you. Fucking yuck. So, yeah, really voyeuristic here. Really interesting ideas of voyeurism. And granted, like, she is married. We are getting the sense she's in her early 20s. Like, we're not getting the I sense. I don't even know if she's in her early 20s, dude. That's what I Like, my as. grandma got married when she was 17 and that was in like the 50s oh no so like if this is 1918 like she could be 17 18 easy and how long was she married to howard before he left like it could have been a couple months for all we know well at least in theory he would have had to be 18 to serve right was it like that back then oh good question maybe that sounds right so and he could have been a year or two older than her sure she could still be 17 or 18 or even 19 I don't see her being 20 or unless she just appears so young. Maybe she's just been like so sheltered for so long. Maybe she, I don't know. It's just so hard to see her being in her 20s. Either way, Pearl thanks him and leaves, sneaks back into her house. And once she does sneak back in, she hears Ruth sobbing, which is humanizing her a little bit, showing that she really feels trapped in this situation. And this situation is really making her upset. But instead, Pearl doesn't go comfort her mother. She looks at a picture of Howard guiltily and says, what are you looking at? So again, she realizes she's doing a little wrong, flirting with his projectionist and perhaps not being as loyal to her family as she should be. But the next morning, we see Pearl taking dad to the dock. Ugh, the ugh. dock, the infamous dock. She wheels him onto the dock and calls for Theta. And her father's quickening breath indicates that he is fearful. He is fearful of why his daughter would have wheeled him here and called for the alligator. <laughs> <laughs> As he should be. As he should be. And I really thought this was it. But just then, Ruth arrives at the dock and tells Pearl to bring her father back to the house. Well, she even gives him a speech that shows her intentions. Oh, yeah. She says, I'm leaving soon. I can't stay here any longer. Howard was supposed to take me away. It'd be easier for me if I didn't feel like I was abandoning you. You understand that. I love you, Daddy. But this is no way to live. Oh my god. But yes, Ruth saves the day and they have an exchange where Pearl is like, why do you hate me? But they have this back and forth and the mom eventually says, which again becomes important later, one day you'll understand that getting what you want isn't what's important. It's making the most of what you have. Life rarely turns out how you'd expect, which is said in X. Pearl says that to Maxine. Mm -hmm. You need to be prepared for that if you ever want to be happy. Boom. So Ruth takes dad, wheels him back to the house. Pearl continues on down by the water. It looks like she goes to look for Theta, but she finds some of her alligator eggs instead. She brings one back to the barn and puts it up high in the loft on some hay. But as she climbs back down the ladder and leaves, she passes by Charlie the cow and perceives Charlie as giving her some kind of dirty look and then decides to go back up, grab the egg and crush it in her hand. 
So I don't really know what that means. Yeah, I was confused by this scene. Is Charlie supposed to be like this moral consciousness that she has? Mm. Or was she trying to breed an alligator on her own with the hopes that she would be able to like use it at her will? And then she like decided, no, I can't do that. Maybe. I don't know. But this is the scene that I think is important to show that maybe we weren't dealing with Theta herself, but perhaps one of the other eggs that did survive and go on to live in the pond. Theta Jr. Theta Jr. So we get another (laughs) dinner scene. Oh my God. They're getting harder and harder. They get so much worse. Ruth slaps down the Palace Follies program, which is essentially telling Pearl, listen, I know you lied to me. I know you went to the pictures and tells Pearl that you need to go sleep in the bunkhouse because she was exposed to others. And I'm like, it's a little late for that. It's been like three days. Pearl then tells Ruth, listen, I have a dance audition on Saturday and I'm going. Ruth goes on to tell her that she's ungrateful, that she knows what Pearl is capable of, and others will be frightened of her once they find out too. So it's like, ooh, what's going on here? Ruth then rips up the Palace Follies program and says that she sees evil in Pearl and won't let her leave the farm, and then begins brandishing a knife? She says, maybe I should kill him for you. Would that suit your selfish dreams better? I was supposed to be his wife, not his mother. Your husband is gone. So is mine. Why should we be saddled with caring for them or the work of this farm? What about us getting what we want? I mean, this to me is incredible. It's so good. It's so good. And it also is really like highlighting, especially paired with X, this idea that if we're just focusing on women from different generations want the same thing, but they never work together. It's kind of making me think of Lords of Salem. Right. Like the witches who take advantage of the younger woman who is capable of bearing the spawn of Satan. It's like Ruth making Pearl suffer because of the agony she is suffering from her lost dream. And then Pearl then going on to make, who can we possibly know? So many people suffer for their youth and her lost dreams. It's just this cyclical, sick situation where the mother, Pearl, these young women in X all want the same thing. They want this recognition, this love, this appreciation, this place, and they don't get it. And it's like we see them taking it out on each other. It's very much like an earn your stripes type of person. Like if I had to go through this, so do you type of situation. Yes. When it's like, obviously, the idea is that as we ascend and as conditions get better, you do things so that the people after you don't have to suffer. Mm -hmm. But that's not the way that Ruth is carrying her pain. It's Mm -mm. very much, I had to become my husband's mother and you're out here trying to be a dancer and shirk on these like little responsibilities and your husband isn't even here. No, like I'm not going to be left with your mess too. Mm Mm-hmm. Ruth then tells Pearl to leave. She's like, go, but when you fail, remember what it feels like because that's what I feel like every time I look at you. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, this is right up here with Hereditary as far as tense dinner scenes. It's heartbreaking. I know. It's like horror in a completely different way than freaking Wayne getting stabbed with a pitchfork. It's like a whole other thing. And it humanizes Ruth, though, because she goes on to say, everything has been taken away from me. What more do you want? And Pearl returns with, I don't want to end up like you. Ruth slaps the shit out of her. They tussle. And then Ruth gets caught on fire. Yes. As soon as Pearl can take in the situation that her mother is on fire, she grabs a pot of water on the stove. I don't think she realizes is literally boiling water. Mm -hmm. 
She throws it on her mother, which puts out the flames, but of course adds to the injuries that she is experiencing. And then Ruth just falls to the floor, mortally wounded, still living, but super injured. Pearl drags Ruth to the basement and then leaves dad sitting at the table. Pearl leaves, runs to the theater, kisses the projectionist. She has a dream of her bowing on stage, flowers being thrown after one of her dance performances in black and white, but then her burnt mom is in the audience looking at her. So this wakes her up. She is in bed with a projectionist. She has slept with a projectionist. She dresses hurriedly, says that she wants to practice before her audition later that day, and then again asks him for affirmation as she's done multiple times at this point, saying, do you still think I'm pretty enough? I was saying this to Elise prior to recording. We look at something like X, where a character like Maxine or Bobby Lynn has, in the 70s, limited but still has mobility to make choices for herself and go off and make a life for herself independent of a man. It's still obviously tied to a man in the sense that like Wayne is financing this picture and filming this film and all of these types of things. But if you look at 1918, like aside from this dance audition that she has... Pearl really doesn't have any options to do anything else unless she has a man to take her with him. Part of us is like, why are you being so desperate? Why are you looking for this man's affirmation? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you so focused on Howard? Why are you focused on the projectionist? But it's really like the idea that the social mobility for someone like her in that time is so limited and she needs to con this guy into taking her to Europe or to doing all of these things. And that is exemplified in a monologue we get later on for sure. But it's meant to characterize her as subservient and very much like attuning herself to the male gaze, but it really is more insidious than that. Yeah, that's such a good point. Again, projectionist takes her home, but before Pearl can invite him inside, she runs inside herself, sees that her father is still sitting in his wheelchair by the kitchen table. She wheels him to a different room, promises that she'll clean him up soon. Then she goes out, gets the projectionist, brings him inside, introduces him to her dad before taking him upstairs to make out on her bed. While they're making out, projectionist hears a noise that Pearl tries to ignore, but continues. So he, the projectionist, gets up to go inspect. And before he can really inspect much, I mean, he is in the kitchen. The basement door where the mother is, is off the kitchen. So we know he's very close to where Ruth is. He sees the table is still set from the night before. There's corn all over the ground. Just very odd. He's sensing that something has occurred. But then Pearl interrupts his investigation and is like, let me show you the barn. So she takes him to the barn and she's theatrically telling stories. Earlier, Pearl ended up making an excuse in the kitchen about the noise being her dog that she had shut in the basement. But then outside in the barn, she has an inconsistency where she says she doesn't have a dog. So the projectionist is feeling weird and tries to leave relatively politely, like, all right, I gotta go, see you around, Pearl. But she gets pissed. She says, what did you see? You're not going to take me to Europe, are you? What did I do wrong? Why are you leaving me if I didn't do anything wrong? What did you see? Why did you change? I thought you liked me. Obsessive. This is one of those scenes where Pearl is just so damn relatable. <laughs> yeah, right. What did you see? You're not going to take me to Europe? You don't like you me anymore? Me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I could see what, like, exactly when you said the Joker thing, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could see people acting like this. And she knows she knows right away, but he won't tell her. And it's like, can you blame him? You can't because he's literally probably Scared afraid. Scared for his life. Yes. <laughs> and he is 
you know, trying to defend himself by getting away and trying to not ruffle any feathers on the way, but it's too late. She senses and she wants him to tell her and he won't. Not that it would have saved him. No, he wishes her luck, says that he'll see her later or whatever, and like scurries off to his car. But then she follows him. And as he's about to take off in his car, she says, you're not going to leave me here. I'm not staying on this farm. Nothing's going to keep me here. And then stabs him in the chest with a fucking pitchfork. And then the car rolls away with him in it down the hill, which I thought was so comedic and awesome. (laughs) Then she pulls him out of the car and says, you hear me? Nothing. Not you, not mama, not Howard, nobody. And then like, just like fucking stabs him again and finishes him off. Again, alluding to that sexual frustration, the stabbing, it's three little dicks on a post. Why does Pearl make stabbing somebody with a pitchfork look so easy? I know. It's like a lot of effort. There's no way that it's as easy as she makes it look. I don't know. Maybe that farm girl strength is just like kicking yeah, in I somewhere. Right. I mean, she knows how to use it. She's, She's in practice. practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Ruth is still in the basement and Ruth, it really feels like Sisyphus a little bit because she keeps crawling up these basement stairs and keeps getting to the door and trying to get out. Pearl opens the door and she's just like laying right there all burnt and disheveled. And Pearl says to her, I want you to remember what it feels like because that's how it felt every time you looked at me. Mm. And then kicks her back down the stairs. Oh, I mean, again, on the heels of what her mother said about how it felt every time she looked at her. And then Pearl's like, remember how it felt every time I felt you look at me? It's so good. I feel like this movie, as well as X, has a lot of details that, like, as the viewer, it's not, like, spelled out for you. You're kind of given all of these elements and you can stitch them together yourself. I just feel like it's very well done in that way. Like, you're not being fed some kind of story based on how somebody wants you to perceive it. You're just kind of, like, observing what's going on in this contained space and processing it yourself, but it's done so masterfully. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I like it. I'm into it. Don't forget that dad is still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Pearl goes back inside after she shoves her mother back down the steps after that scathing remark. She goes to clean up her dad as promised, who looks absolutely terrified. He has been, it seems like, holding tears in his eyes for many shots now. And she gets him all dressed up in like a nice suit and a bow tie. She changes into one of her mother's dresses, which is the iconic red dress that we see on all of the cover art, things like that. She has her dad downstairs in the living room, has like a final goodbye moment with her dad. She says, thank you for everything. I know you'll look down on me proudly. You are loved. And she smothers him with a pillowcase. And then she leaves. Pushes the projectionist in his car into the pond. Sound familiar? (laughs) Yeah, especially because that's the same car that Jackson finds in X. And then it's audition time. Pearl shows up in red, stands out completely from the others who are wearing much more light-colored dresses. Mm -hmm. And I love this conversation between Mitzi and Pearl where they're waiting in line. And Pearl is like, it has to be me. And then Mitzi's like, well, if it's not you, then it should be me. And Pearl's like, it has to be me. (laughs) But Mitzi also reveals that they're only taking one girl per town. Mm -hmm. So it gets more intense. And then somehow like Mitzi and Pearl switch places. I don't think this ends up really meaning anything. No. I couldn't tell if it was malicious at first, but it doesn't seem like it ends up meaning anything. So it's Pearl's turn to audition. She gets up. She's led inside, escorted onto the stage where she stands in front of a panel of judges. As the music starts, Pearl starts dancing. And look. 
For all I know about 1918, her moves, they seem pretty on brand with what I'd expect. I would say, like, <laughs> iconic, again, maybe not as good as Prom Night 1980 because never, no, never no, as I, good. Nothing can ever touch it. Nothing can touch it. But she is feeling it. She is emoting. I mean, I do like the stylization, too, because a curtain opens up behind her to a war zone. There's dancing soldiers. There's red, white, and blue fireworks. Like, you could tell it's really setting the scene of the time and how she's really invoking the times, like, with her movements. And she's smiling so big to the point where it's a little uncomfortable. And then she finishes off. She feels super proud of herself. She's in this final arc of a pose. And then the one judge says, thank you, but it's going to be a no. Oh, my God. God, it's giving Simon Cowell of 1918. Even the panel judging, it's like, seven girls stand before me today, but only one has what it takes to be America's next top dance troupe or whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? Yes, but this is the news that I don't think Pearl had even considered was possible. No. Like she was so far past no being an option. She was deep in her manifest bag and there was a hole in the bottom of her manifest bag. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't go easy. She soon imagines that her mother, with all of her burns, is now in place of the judge that's denying her. So again, picturing her mother there witnessing her failure. And she begs to stay. This is the scene that you may have seen many times already. She begs to say, she screams, I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. But she is let out and she cries on the stoop of the church. She's also told that there's plenty of girls in the troupe just like her, and they're looking for something different, more all-American, blonde with X-Factor. Mm-hmm. So as she's wailing outside, Mitzi very cautiously approaches her and is like, let me take you home. So <laughs> she does. Sees that their pig is still rotting outside. And that's like my favorite line delivery. He's like, is that our pig? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the best. And then Mitzi gets her something to drink, is trying to comfort her, and Pearl just isn't having it. She's like, Mama was right, I'm never getting off this farm. Mitzi's comforting her, trying to tell her not to take it so hard. And Pearl says, I don't feel well. I'm worried there might be something real wrong with me, Mitzi. Seems like there's something missing in me that the rest of the world has. And Mitzi's like, well, have you tried telling Howard how you feel? And Pearl's like, no. And Mitzi's like, well, how about you practice on me then? This monologue... It's over seven minutes long. It's so long, but so good. It is so good. And this really, I think, is what solidifies Pearl as the Lady Joker. She's so damn sympathetic. It really is because, like, you are really getting a window into Pearl's mind, into, like, every decision that she's made up until this point, how she sees herself, how she sees Howard, how she sees the people around her. I'm finding it hard to try to summarize it because all of it is so necessary. A lot of it is summarizing what we already know, but this is the first time that we're hearing it in Pearl's words. Like we're just watching it and registering it on our own terms, but now we're getting to hear Pearl kind of tell her own story. And I think that it adds just like this level that obviously would be missing if we didn't get to hear her telling it. I also read on IMDb, this monologue consists of about 14 shots and the last shot is over five minutes. Yeah, that last shot doesn't break. It does at all. not break. At one point, I was like, where is Mitzi? I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? how is she doing on the other side of this table? Essentially, she's telling Howard that she's fooled him. Their entire relationship, the reason that she married him and chose him is because he had what she did not have. And he was supposed to be her ticket off the farm, but she feels as though he betrayed her. Mm. 
because he then wanted to be a farmer and then went off to the war and left her there when he was supposed to be the one to take her away from there. She thought she could be happy. She was even pregnant with her baby at one point, but then she was so happy when she lost the baby because she was never meant to be a mother. She hated the idea of something needing her and suckling on her. She goes on to say that, like, she feels pathetic. Do people like you ever feel this way? The Lord never answers my prayers. What did I do so wrong? I don't want to end up like my mother. I'm not beautiful or pleasant or friendly or confident. I hate what it feels like to be me. And I'm scared that when you get home and see what I've done, that you'll leave me. But if you come home, I promise that I'll be what you want. I'll be the good wife. So it's like this really weird pendulum between I wanted all of these things and I feel betrayed by you. So thus I looked at other men and found company in other Mm. men and did all of these things. And I've killed these animals that are smaller than me and couldn't fight back. And it felt good. And I killed my mom and it felt good and I'm afraid of how you're going to look at me when you find these things out. But if you forgive me, I'll be everything you want me to be because that should be enough. And maybe I just need your love to be happy and I don't feel loved and I need you to love me. So it's like so weird because it's like this pendulum of like, I know what I want and I will not accept a life I do not deserve. But then it also goes back into, I can't get anywhere without you. So I need you to love me to make this all okay. And Mitzi... Mitzi's just sitting there and her face acting, responding to this, I was cracking the fuck up. (laughs) She was doing so well just trying to take all of this in and be like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, I gotta go. (laughs) Yes. And she does. She gets up to go. And Pearl asks if she's frightened of her. And Mitzi says no. And then Pearl thanks her and then says something along the lines of, by the way... You don't have to pretend like you didn't get the part anymore. Gave me chills. So she like lets on that she knows. And Mitzi's like, no, Pearl, no, I didn't. Pearl's like, no, it's okay. I'm excited for you. I'm happy for you. And then Mitzi thanks her and admits, yes, I got the part. I'm excited. Like, so Pearl is able to kind of manipulate her into admitting that she got the part. I almost wish she didn't, though, because she was like, Pearl, no, I didn't. And Pearl was so convinced that she did. And I I thought that was going to send her off into a rage. Yeah. yeah. That was my first thought, too. I was like, because I believed Mitzi. Yeah. I was like, no, she didn't. Like, how would you know that anyway? But then her response to it was very clearly like that she had gotten the part. This scene very much reminded me of Maude in her kitchen with her (gasps) friend with the hydrogen peroxide in the sink. Yes. I was like, oh, something's going to fucking happen right now. Like something's going to happen right here, right now. (laughs) And it didn't happen that way. And I was like, okay, good. I'm glad it didn't happen this way. But like, oh my God, it was so reminiscent of that. Well, after this moment, Pearl tells Mitzi basically that what she told her can stay a secret between them. And Mitzi's like, yes, of course, I won't tell anybody. And she turns to leave. And as she's walking down the long, 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 long driveway, which My I favorite will. favorite scene in this movie. Yes. Pearl apparently has a change of heart because she walks outside over to the log splitting trunk, grabs the axe and starts walking after Mitzi. And the way this is shot, like everything is in full color. You're seeing the red of Pearl's dress contrasting with the red of the barn in the background. 
Everything is fully lit. Mitzi is like running toward the camera and you see Pearl, Michael Myers in it, like <laughs> toward the camera behind her. And of course, Mitzi has to fucking trip and fall because she's running in these heels. She's so bad at running. Take the shoes off. Just take the shoes off and, and book she's it. She's so bad at running. I just feel like women know how to run in heels if their life depended on it. Mm-hmm. But I'm also wondering like, was there part of her that didn't believe that Pearl would or could do it? Was it that same kind of underestimation that Pearl experiences later when she's older? Like, is it the same thing because she's a young woman? Is Mitzi just so privileged that she's never ever had to run or do any physical activity in her life? Like, I don't know. Like, how come you're so bad at this? I literally said to a person I was talking about this movie with that I was like kicking my damn feet at this scene because I was just like, this is so much fun. Oh my God, the way this shot, so beautiful. Pearl axes her down. Mitzi is begging for her life, says she'll do anything that Pearl wants her to. And Pearl repeats, it's not about what I want anymore, Mitzi. It's about making the most of what I have and kills her. So after she kills Mitzi, she goes into the basement and holds her mother's dead body to cuddle against her. And she imagines her mother singing to her. This scene made me scream, like recoil scream, because it's like this German singing that's intercut with Pearl then sitting Ruth's charred body down at her vanity and combing her hair and her fucking brain flesh coming out in the comb. Also in this compilation, she is dismembering Mitzi's body and feeding it to the gators. And she is seating her father at the set table with her mother around the rotting pig. Again, like you haven't seen it, but this is very Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's a scene that embodies this very, very, very much. Really? Yeah, this is a very big callback to that. Yeah, but then Pearl has a vision of a healed Ruth telling Pearl that she loves her, which, I mean, you could tell that she just wanted that affirmation so much. Pearl prays over dinner, there's a fade to black. And then Howard's arriving home. Unexpectedly. (sighs) He comes in the house sees the gruesome scene at the table. This must be a couple more days later because things seem a little bit more decomposed Mm -hmm. than they had been. And Pearl sees him, calls his name, tells him she's so happy he's home as she cracks a large smile that literally holds, like, not just a freeze frame, but, like, Mia Goth smiling for so long it lasts the entire credits. And at first, she's just really trying to hold this big gas grin, but then she's crying. There's tears running down her cheeks. She's whimpering and then breaking back into the smile as if she's trying to like smile through the pain. And I had like seen an interview with Mia Goth. That scene or that shot wasn't planned. Like it literally was like Ty West just never said cut and just let the film keep rolling. And what? Yeah, like that's how it happened. Is that like they had maybe 12 hours left of filming and that was the last scene that they shot and they were all so fucking exhausted. And that was the last scene of that day that they were shooting and Ty West just kind of like put the camera on her and never yelled cut. So that entire scene, that entire ending sequence is a one shot take. That's the only shot they took of that where she is just like fighting through it and staying in that character and doing it for as long as that shot went. And it wasn't planned. Like, it wasn't planned to end like that. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. I know. Well, there you have it, folks. That's the movie. (laughs) And I like that it ends with that circle fade. You know what I mean? Like, in the old-time movies. So vintage. It it is. It was so good. Okay, so a couple things. As Shay mentioned earlier, there are a couple of connections between this film and the idea of, like, being a pandemic film. So this is from the article Pearl Ending Explained, A Star is Shorn by Bill Bria. 
Pearl was written by West and Goth at the arguable height of the pandemic in fall of 2020 during the two-week quarantine they underwent before shooting X in New Zealand. It makes absolute sense that the COVID-19 outbreak and its effects on culture would be reflected in the movie, but it's done in a very clear way. By incorporating the outbreak of the Spanish flu in 1918, West has a historically accurate reason to feature characters wearing protective masks in the film. It makes Pearl and its many allegories feel that much more relevant and immediate. When the projectionist observes at one point about how it's hard to tell who people are when they're wearing masks, the film clearly intends that literally and figuratively. West also revisits the theme of X, commenting on the cyclical nature of violence through a historical lens. Where X featured Goth playing two sides of a generational coin in Pearl and Maxine, Pearl always keeps the horrors of World War I lurking in the background. Pearl's suffering father is a constant reminder of the ravages of war, while even the newsreels at the cinema feature horrifyingly graphic footage of wartime violence. It all adds up to the final moment of soldier boy Howard returning from the front to find even greater, grislier violence awaiting for him in his own isolated home. As America and the world were to discover not too long after 1918, widespread horror and violence did not end with World War I. That was interesting too, like the idea of like Howard also coming home and finding that his nightmare wasn't over. Also, I have a little bit from the same article on how Pearl remains so sympathetic to a lot of viewers. So this is from the same article by Bill Bria. The ultimate sly commentary of Pearl lies in the way the film makes a vicious killer utterly sympathetic. Granted, there have been numerous movies that have tackled such subversion, from Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, to American Psycho, to even arguably Psycho. Yet the satire of Pearl is primarily visual, using the iconography of musicals and the woman's picture to play on the audience's sympathies. As West explains via a press kit from A24, one of his biggest influences was The Wizard of Oz. Quote, it's a movie that deals with fantasy and imaginations, the hardships of growing up on a farm and wanting to escape. It was in the ether when I wrote Pearl, much in the same way The Texas Chainsaw Massacre was when I wrote X, but they wound up being very different movies. There's something fun about thinking as a viewer that you know what a movie is going to be, but having the filmmaker ask you along the way, are you sure? (laughs) Besides musicals like Oz and Mary Poppins, the other classic Technicolor films West references with Pearl are the women's pictures of the 1950s, specifically those of Douglas Sirk, Max Ophelis, and George Cukor. Their films follow female protagonists who endure large amounts of emotional distress enhanced by their circumstances and position in society until they reach a breaking point. Of course, Pearl's breaking point means murder, but the film has no less sympathy for her character. The fact that Pearl remains so sympathetic throughout the film is its ultimate triumph. It's not only a homage to the film's West references, as well as a throwback to films like those of Robert Altman's That Cold Day in the Park, Images, Three Women, and Aldrich, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. But the approach allows West and Goth to tie the horror and subtextual commentary together. After all, it's no coincidence that Cooker directed the 1954 version of A Star is Born that stars Judy Garland, who also starred in The Wizard of Oz. I'm a star! (laughs) No, I'm a star! Like, it's... (laughs) Oh my gosh. I also think, like, in that vein of the idea of images, I thought that that previous point about part of the sympathy audiences feel for Pearl is the way the film was shot, sort of subliminally pulling from those old-timey movies that we've seen, those 
timeless portrayals of innocence and femininity, like pulling at our heartstrings and evoking this sense of sympathy for Pearl, even though we know she's a murderer. I thought that was really interesting. Like aside from the plot and the background we get in the dialogue, like that whole other layer that we place onto her, it kind of reminds me too of her as an old woman in X. Like her age creates this whole other layer of sympathy and concern that we place onto her, even though we know that she's a murderer. And it's just so interesting that like you can have sympathy for a character like that, despite all of the bad that they can do. It's also interesting that we don't really feel that sense of sympathy for Ruth at all, even though... I felt sympathy for Ruth up until the scene when she really let Pearl have it. Until that point, I felt like Ruth was, yes, like harsh, but I felt like to a certain extent, like she was reasonable. She like sat Pearl down and was like, here's why I need you. And Pearl didn't understand or she didn't want to understand and like, fine. But watching Ruth try to express that like genuine need, like I respected because at least she was trying to explain to her daughter, this is what's going on. But until she had that moment where she was like, I can't look at you or whatever she said, I was like, damn girl, you lost me. (laughs) I was like, you lost me. What can I say to you? Like, I can't say anything. And it's funny because they did. It's like they were speaking two different languages. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Because that's the thing. You also see in film where it's like you see the parent encouraging their dreams and you let them fail. And then because that encouragement and that safety was there, like Pearl could have been happy being a farm girl knowing that she failed at the dance audition. You know what I mean? Like also like she literally failed at one dance audition. Dance audition. Literally one. But was that like little at that time? At that time, though, you got to think about it that way. It probably felt like it was it because she had no other support. Right. But, like, if you look at it, like, Mitzi was right. She was like, girl, it's really not that. It's a church group. Yeah. Like, but, like, to Pearl, who, you're right, right, maybe didn't have that many opportunities or how often was a dancing troupe coming through town. But she also didn't experience like that support behind her. Like it probably felt like, I mean, it did. I mean, we saw her lose it. Like that was it. And then she decided for the rest of her life because of this one moment, the next 80 years was determined, which is just like so extreme. I don't know. We saw it happen. It makes sense for her, but it just sucks because if she had more support, like it wouldn't have hit her that hard. I don't think. I like the idea that how originally that vision of Howard walking up the driveway seemed like it was a dream, like, I can't wait for that day. But then as it kept appearing throughout the film, it was her fear that, like, she wasn't going to be able to get out before Howard got back. Mm. Like, she needed to be able to leave with someone else, or she needed to be able to be a dancer, or she needed to be able to escape farm life before Howard got back, because Howard getting back was her deadline. If my husband gets back from war, this is what I'm destined to be because he's not going to take me anywhere else and I can't look like X, Y, or Z. Even like when the projectionist was driving her back to her house and they saw a soldier walking along the road and she got so scared and she was like, what the fuck is that? Like, who the fuck is that? You know what I mean? Like, that was her deadline. So even if this wasn't the opportunity or the thing, the timing of it was the only time where she was Mm, able to be like, my parents are dead and Howard is gone and this is the only time I can slip away and no one can find me. Because even when she was sobbing outside of the church, I was like, Now, is she crying because she just killed her family for nothing? Or Mm. is she crying because she failed? Which is it? So where do you think this leaves us for Maxine? 
So Maxine left Wayne in the dust. She's bumping some coke and driving this pickup truck (laughs) away from the farm. And she has this film that the cops have now found. She wants to go be a star and we are in the 1980s. So the sky's the limit for her. Do you think it's going to be Maxine breaking this cycle? Or do you think it's going to be another installment? Like the world is the farm. She gets out of this literal farm. Is she still going to be stuck on the quote unquote farm? I was looking at the timing of this. Is this like a Marilyn Monroe thing where you like rise and you fall? So, that was in the 50s and 60s. I didn't know the timing, but you rise and you fall so quickly, like you get what you want. And then the price of that is like plummeting you back down. Like, is this going to be That's like interesting. a modeling thing? Is it going to stay in sex work? Like, is she just going to end up in Vegas somewhere and having to be an escort or do X, Y, and Z? And I don't say end up as in a sense where it's not an active choice that she's making, but like in the sense that she might not be treated with the level of respect and stardom that she's looking for. I mean, that's been a theme in these movies, the idea of how people treat you, see you, what they say to you, how they revere you. Right. So that's really interesting, that idea of like, what if this film does blow up? Right. Because we know that the industry does. And with a backstory like that, who knows, maybe it garners even more attention. She's the only living cast member left. Or are we going to see her middle-aged? Are we going to see her start to age where it's like... I think I read that the film takes place in the 80s. So I mean, mean, if it takes place in 89, it's 10 years later, she could start to be aging out. But if it's, you know, a year or two after, she'll still be in... She'll still be in that prime, yeah. yeah. So that's a really interesting idea. Like, what if she does get a sense of what she wants and then experiences some more repercussions because of that? I don't know. I think it's interesting to explore an era of aging where you're still appealing, but you're never going to be as appealing as you were when you were 21 or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it would be cool to bring that element of age back. Because, I mean, that's the thing. How old do you think Maxine is? I mean, she's a preacher's daughter that ran away from a home, but how long has she been missing? That's a good question. She might be like 19, 20, 21. Because obviously Britney Snow is older. She's and Jenna older, Ortega she, is younger. Bobby Lynn has got to be like 25. I don't know. I don't think there's no way she's over 30. I think she could be closer to 30 than Maxine you is. Think so? And I think Jenna Ortega is maybe like 20, 21, if that. If she's Jenna, in college. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So I could see that. So if Jenna Ortega, her character is supposed to be 20, 21, even 22, then maybe that puts Maxine at 23, 24. Because Bobby Lynn seems more experienced. I know. But I mean, if she started when she was 18, she could have right. six, seven, eight years of experience and still be in her 20s. Sure. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, one time I, I was watching this old movie a couple weeks ago and there were like a bunch of brothers in the movie and they were all supposed to be like 24 and they all looked like they were 56. Things in Hollywood change all the time. I don't know what the expectancy was in 1979. I don't know how old Bobby Lynn was supposed to be. But now that we have gotten on this conversation of age and what it means, it's so interesting. That's just an era that I like would love to see Ty West explore, Mia Goth explore, is the idea that even if she is 20, say she's 23, 24, and this is aged up until 1989, Mm -hmm. and she's now sitting at 33, 34, and she's not the it girl anymore more because she's too old or this that and the other thing and Mm -hmm. because we've seen the gamut we've seen when you're young and everybody wants you and we've seen when you're old and nobody wants you Brittany snow in real life is 36 yeah i knew she was close to 40 oh my gosh i knew she was closer to 40 yeah and mia goth i think is 30 damn so So maybe she is over 30 in the movie she could be 
I think she's close to 30. I mm-hmm. think she's older. I think she's supposed to be like the elder, you know, adult film star or whatever like that. So that's where I'm like, I'm interested in seeing her beginning of Fall from Grace. That's what yeah. I want to see of out of Maxine is that shift between you're everything, you're everything, you're everything. And then younger girls start coming in and taking things away from you. And are you going to start killing them? That's what I want to see. Mm. I have to agree with you, I think. That would seem like a really interesting way to complete the trifecta. I think so. And I was also telling Shay earlier, I really want to see another movie about what happened. Like, how did Pearl and Howard, like, settle into that weird dynamic within the decades between Pearl and X? Like a spinoff, like yes. some sort of like TV series of like, yeah. you got another guy in the basement? Come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Any final thoughts? No, I mean, I'm glad that we watched them and I can see why these two really got the hype that they did in 2022. And I'm also glad that we're taking a pretty large left turn and doing something super fucking silly next week. Yes, me too. I'm really excited we did these before Maxine comes out. I didn't know I was going to like these so much, but I did. I thought there was a lot of really cool stuff to think about. As always, when have I ever been like, I actually hated this whole thing? I think only once. And I'm trying to think of which one it was where you were like, I hated this the more it went on. And I'm trying to think of which one it was. <laughs> I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. If you know, email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com and or feel free to follow us on Instagram at thehorrorspodcast. And until next time, we're the horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.